0: Welcome to the Australian Digital Health Agency podcast, supporting health professionals to realise a healthier future for Australians through connected health care. Hello and welcome to the Australian Digital Health Agency podcast. I am Dr Andrew Rochford and I will be your host for today. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are broadcasting from and in which you are listening. I wish to acknowledge their continuing connection to land, sea and community, and I pay my respects to them and to Elders past, present, and emerging, and extend the respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity, and I am joined by a wonderful panel of experts that are going to help answer those questions that we have. Firstly, Donna Alexander, who is a cybersecurity professional at the Australian Digital Health Agency. Greg Gebhardt, who's the Senior Trainer for eSafety Commissioner. Ben Wilkins, who is a clinical reference lead at the Australian Digital Health Agency and a pharmacist. Ben also serves in the regulatory, public and not-for-profit sector. And finally, Brianna Miwad, who is the provider adoption lead with the Australian Digital Health Agency and a former practice manager. Thank you so much to everyone for joining me. Firstly, I wanna start things uh, with a big question. Why are we talking about staying cyber safe and keeping up to date this year? And I might start with you, Donna.
1: Thanks, Andrew. One of the biggest things that has changed for everyone globally is the COVID-19 pandemic. That's pushed a, a larger number of people online to access things like telehealth services. There's actually been an associated increase in online scam activity. The bigger the pool of targets, the more activity we're seeing in this cybersecurity
2: space.
0: Greg, is that something you've also witnessed over the last twelve months?
2: Yeah, definitely. It's uh, one one of the things that was really obvious to us was the amount of people that were online and uh, all age groups, of course, too. So um, the increased use through COVID meant more more time online, and uh, people, I guess, uh, were trying to fill in their uh, time with uh, all the different passions. And we also saw a lot of negativity happening. Uh, in fact, for us as a reporting agency, the eSafety Commissioner uh, does take uh, reports about negative experiences online and tries to help. Definitely, we have seen a lot of positive stuff on the internet, and I have to say that I've used it uh, much more often and much more in friendly ways with my family, and we've been better connected. But we've also, as an agency, we've seen a lot of negativity happening out there, and uh, that impacts on uh, everyone, and especially uh, where we are talking about uh, health profession, uh, mental health and wellbeing of people who may be targeted online. And uh, I thought the point about the scammers, we've certainly seen the uh, older groups in Australia being targeted as well. So uh, yes, definitely some big changes from our end.
0: Can we expect it to continue? Is this just the fact that, you know, all of us are online more, uh, the volume's increased, and so just there's more opportunity for, for these types of attacks to occur? A- and do we expect this to continue? Or do you think this will something that, that will, will pass?
2: Well, just briefly, from my point, I'm interested to hear other people's uh, views on this. Is, um, I think uh, we're probably seeing... Uh, a lot of the cyber attacks and issues relating to emotional parts. So when we talk about scammers, we saw the bushfire scams. Uh, We saw um, scams uh, targeting uh, those who are um, taking money out of superannuation. And then the COVID came and we're certainly seeing scams at the moment around uh, how to fast track to get the vaccine, paying money in those areas. So I think the issues will continue. But what the good news is, I think we're better informed and uh, podcasts like this and, uh, again, uh, things that uh, are happening in all different agencies around Australia really preparing people to be much more alert and much wiser with how they deal with those. So uh, I think we'll still see them, but I think there's some positives that we can make a big difference. Ben, do you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Andrew.
3: I think what's interesting as a practitioner on the ground is the healthcare industry has has seen a significant rise in particular, uh, and that actually began with uh, in COVID times uh, back in March 2020. It filtered through european ppe suppliers uh, it's affected hospitals in the states and even recently we've actually seen the same type of activity in australia and what i've taken out of it is that small businesses particularly have been targeted and we know that health is the number one sector for reported data breaches we ask why and the reason really is because they're easy targets because they often don't have Uh, all the right mechanisms in place. Uh, And really a lot of that is prevention and training and awareness to kick off. And I think the last thing that we can all take on board regarding health is that health data is often worth about three times more on the dark web compared to bank data. So that's why our sectors really are the focus of these cyber criminals and these attacks. Can you just explain
0: to me why that is? Because I would have assumed, and I'm assuming people listening would expect that financial data is the most valuable, but health-based data is three times more valuable on the dark web. Is that
3: correct? If you can access people's date of birth and Medicare, you can actually open accounts. You can get home loans. Got it. If you've got all that personal data. So I think that's quite critical. And even more importantly, if you can hack into an email or if a cyber criminal has somehow been able to steal someone's mobile for a two-step authentication they're really open to go anywhere with it so then they can uh, expand in their banking and financial world and that's why i think it's more valuable but greg you might have some other comments on that
2: Yeah, I I think uh, one of the things that we have seen through the pandemic with COVID is a lot of organisations have had to move very quickly to uh, online delivery and telehealth is no different to any other uh, organisation. And in some cases, people did amazing jobs in a very short time. Those key essentials in life were put together quickly. But one of the things that did happen is when people moved across, uh, they didn't get time to really flush out how their policies and procedures should be put in place. And uh, I think that was something that criminals sat on as well, that uh, perhaps in the rush, maybe people haven't got these systems in place really well. And uh, certainly with uh, identity theft, uh, which has certainly grown uh, over the last 12 months as well getting personal information. And um, while I'm not an expert in the healthcare uh, area, I would imagine there's a lot of personal information that could be very valuable uh, getting into those areas. Donna?
1: Yeah, I um, have also read a lot of similar reports on the, the huge value of health information compared to other types of information. I think it's because it's actually a bundle of information all about you rather than being a single piece of personal information, such as a credit card number. It's yeah, your full name, your date of birth, your contact details, possibly even some financial details and your medical history that may be stored by a healthcare organisation. And that's why the work that everyone's doing to become more aware of this and to educate users on how to spot unusual activity, how to keep systems up to date, how to set strong passwords is so important, even though those things sound really simple, working together we can prevent this important information from being compromised. And I think the other thing is that I think users are, are a great source for their organisation for detecting and reporting things that don't seem quite right. And uh, if they don't, having a a strong policy, as um, Greg was saying, around what do you do if there is an incident, how do you report it, what happens next is part of preventing these types of incidents.
0: Brianna, do you have anything to add from your side to do with, obviously, you know, the provider element in and around health and, and potentially any trends over the last 12 months that might have seen a rise in that area of, of cyber breaches?
4: Yeah, certainly. I think I would um, echo what Greg Donner and Ben have said in that, um, you know, health information is is really um of value when it comes to those um, cyber threats. and and it's important as health professionals and practice managers and you know people in you know who own health businesses that we really take it seriously to protect our patients' health information and also our business information as well. And you know we've we've heard how how prevalent these cyber threats are becoming with this shift towards using more and more technology and, and um, health platforms. So I think from a practice manager point of view, it can very quickly sound a bit scary almost. So it's really great to have these resources and podcasts like this to help providers and help practice managers and, and health businesses to feel a lot more confident with what they're doing in their practices and in their organizations and um, to start to kind of communicate that and, and raise that cyber awareness amongst their team and their staff as well. So just echoing what Donna has said about creating those robust policies and procedures. Um, and I think it's this shift of thinking from moving away from, you know, this thinking of, you know, the the IT firewalls and the, the IT computer systems will protect me, but um, starting to think a little bit more from, you know, this uh, knowledge and awareness amongst the staff and amongst the team in my organisation is really what's going to protect us as well, not just our firewalls. So, yeah, just I think it's, it's great to have sort of these resources where we can start to um, produce uh, better policies and procedures for our organisation.
3: Ben? Picking up on Brianna's point there, uh, a lot of the complications actually come from people, and clicking on emails. and So I think it's really important not just to do the awareness and training, but but really it needs constant reinforcement because people aren't going to hack into your system every hour, but people click on emails every hour.
4: Yeah, and I think that's really um, what it comes down to is being aware of, you know, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis in our, in our workflows, in our um, practice day-to-day um, that is putting our uh, practice at risk or putting our organization's data at risk. Um, and uh, I think, <laughs> building on your point, Ben, we don't think it's going to happen to us. We think might be something that we're hearing about, but it's just not going to happen to us. And it's not until we have a near miss there's an incident or we hear about somebody in our local community maybe where they've had a scenario that really wakes us up. So I think it's sort of one of those things that is now people are realising and especially health organisations are realising it's a very real issue and to not wait until something happens and to really be proactive about training and educating staff and and looking at what your day-to-day workflows are and trying to identify those risks day-to-day for sure.
0: Greg?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, sometimes we do concentrate around the IT security and our virus protection and etc. Uh, and it's so sophisticated. There's times when I get emails or messages that come through that um, I have to read them two or three times uh, to really decide whether it's real or not. And I think anyone can get caught out in here and the sophistication sometimes has it matched to a document that may be sent you to ring a number and then you're actually uh, speaking on the phone to someone. So it becomes personalised and you're a bit more trusting. So you
0: guys have covered off on, on a lot of different elements there I think are hugely valuable. But, but bringing it in to, to try to now start to move towards those tips that Brianna was talking about for people that are listening to to get a better sense of you know where do they really need to focus their energy um, and their um, the importance of, of different elements of their cybersecurity. Can, can we work through, you know, what are the most important aspects of cybersecurity? I might start with you, Donna.
1: Thanks, Andrew. I think the first recommendation is for people to get into the habit of applying software updates to their systems as soon as they see they become available. If you can automate it, even better. One less thing that you've got to worry about. People that work in healthcare are really busy people delivering very vital services to the community. And anything you can make easier, quicker, that you don't have to think about, I think is beneficial. It's also really important to think about the different devices you're using, particularly um, now that we are delivering virtual and physical healthcare services. You may be using some devices at home, others at work. Uh, If you can, it's great to keep those separate. But understanding, you know, that's not always possible. It's really important to check that all of those devices are up to date. And secure. So they're all protected by strong passwords and other software such as antivirus or firmware is all up to date and protecting that information wherever you're working from. And finally, I, I think that there's a real benefit to doing this in terms of it's not only protecting health information that you use in your work, but these are tips that you can apply to your personal information that you're using outside of work as well. And I think that if everyone starts to do these things, it has a really cumulative effect. And by sharing tips and things that have worked well for you with others in your workplace is another great way to raise awareness and help educate others on how simple it can be to keep this type
2: of information safe.
0: Greg, can you add to to some of those important aspects of cybersecurity from your point of view?
2: Yeah, I definitely can. I uh, really like to focus on the point which uh, Donna said towards the end there about uh, personal use of technology because, you know, somebody could come through your personal accounts to target your organisation. There's plenty of ways for uh, cyber criminals to uh, work. And uh, as we're saying, they are quite clever in those areas. So uh, that security part is really important, having good passwords and strong passwords. One of the challenges with passwords is that we've got so many different apps nowadays, so many different websites, so many different uh, work roles that we might have to remember 40 or 50 or 60 different passwords. (laughs) It's uh, almost impossible. So we tend to get a lot of people, uh, for some different reasons, use the same type of password, and that's really high risk if your password in your workspace is very similar to your personal space. So. Um, being a bit smarter about how you manage passwords and uh, having different passwords for the really uh, important or secure spots as uh, well. But I think that's the other thing is within your organisation, knowing who to go to, where to get support, and uh, if it's uh, external use, knowing who to go to and who to speak to in those areas is just as important.
3: Ben? Thanks, Andrew. Just picking up on Donna and Greg's comments, uh, I just wanted to add the software updates are always interesting because practitioners... Uh, at the coalface often find the updates impede their workflow. But I think it's forgotten sometimes that the updates also have a security component around them. Uh, And that's why I think if you come from an ethos that you can't risk downtime, uh, you've really got to practice stringent hygiene around your updates uh, and make sure that you're regularly on top of them for all of your programs. And it's more than just your antivirus and, and updating your prescribing or dispensing or, or clinical software. And I and Greg, the passphrases are interesting and there's a digital health e-learning program that's available on the passphrases, which is quite enlightening because it's very different to the traditional approach that a lot of people have. And I'd recommend to have a look at that. Uh, so I think the practices worldwide are changing. Because the threat is so real and constant, uh, and and that's why it's really important to keep that IT hygiene up to date with your prevention, your detection, and how you respond.
0: Brianna, in your role as a, as a practice manager, I mean, how easy is it to, to put all these into place and and to keep up to date and and to have you know all these different checks and balances in place?
4: Yeah, look, that's that's a really good point, and um, especially as as Donna mentioned. Working in in the health sector is is really fast-paced, really high volume. A lot of the times we we don't have a lot of time to give. And unfortunately, I think sort of cybersecurity might fall into that, we'll worry about this later basket. But I think the biggest thing is to just get started. And what we realized as an organization when we first started on our journey is to just have the conversation as an organization, as a team, and really delegate roles and responsibilities for cybersecurity. So whose role is it going to be to keep up to date? Whose role is it going to be to review our policies? And who is going to look after those, you know, day-to-day workflows and and, and ensuring that we regularly audit what we're doing and, and ensure that we're picking up on any potentially bad habits and things like that. So first tip would be, from a practice manager point of view, certainly identify roles and responsibilities. Don't leave it in the hands of your IT providers alone. It's really important that everybody understands that it's everyone's issue um, and that all of us have a part to play in in cybersecurity and, and protecting our, our patient and practice data. And then the next thing would be, I think, a, a good Example would be putting in some protected time in your calendar. So whether you're making a standing agenda item in your regular uh, meetings or um, having it p- form part of your regular communication um, as a practice, um, whether you send out emails or whatever your regular communication method is, build cybersecurity and that conversation into your regular communication, open up that communication with your team And of course, it goes without saying, but training, training, really investing in um, that security awareness in the team through training. There's so much available now that we can access in the way of um, training and education. And we sort of talked about it in a sense of, you know, we would invest in protecting our physical building. So with security um, of the building physically. Um, so it's important that we also think about that in the sense of data as well, protecting our data um, and, and needing to invest time and um, energy and resources in, into that as well. It's just as important as that, that physical security that we put in place as well. And then also looking at whether or not our procedures are working. So it's one thing to have written policies and procedures, but whether or not that's actually working in our practice is is another thing. So having a look at Um, how that's going, um, doing those audits, doing those random checks of are people updating their passwords, are people clicking on links in their emails, all of these habits that we have, making sure that we're reviewing that and changing it if it's not working, coming up with a different approach so that we can make sure that we are um, staying up to date and on top of Uh, what is happening in our team.
3: Ben? Just picking up on Brianna's practical tips and talking about training, usually the training will help understand the threat landscape and IT best practice and and some sort of regulatory compliance which which relates to the policies. But it doesn't always translate with the actions in the busy clinical life, uh, you know, at the coalface. And I just want to share... Uh, a practical example of one of the organizations I've been involved with. And most of us, doesn't matter if you're running uh, a Mac or a Windows device, They, it's actually possible to get attack simulations for phishing. And sometimes they're really helpful because there's templates and the look and the style can be set. It can look like it's coming from a bank or the ATO or a government department, uh, et cetera. And the individual, if they get it and they click on it, a message pops up that they've been caught by the in-house phishing, so to speak, and it forces them to do a training program. Um, So I just think it's an extra dimension to training because I think of it like first aid. You get training, you sort of feel confident or competent to a degree, but when you apply it, you sometimes need extra training or reinforcement and reflection. So some of these Mac and Windows options, really it's education in the context of need because an individual has actually clicked on a, on a phishing type email, which fortunately is actually safe and doesn't corrupt your, your system if you do uh, if you do that type of mechanism. So I just thought I'd share that because I've seen that practically and uh, it's very helpful to get the awareness and change behavior. Brianna? Yeah,
4: Ben, it's a really great point, and I just wanted to add to that um, with a, with an example of where that's worked really well. And I think you're right; those um, uh, practical applications of those techniques have been really effective. And one example is a, a uh, organisation who sent out those fake phishing emails to see how the employees respond, whether or not they're clicking on them. Um, Another one is leaving unlabeled USBs in the workplace to see if anybody picks it up and uh, plugs it in. But you can also make it fun. And I think that's sort of one of the things that is encouraging to people. You know, we mentioned people might be a little bit embarrassed if they've um, made a mistake or, or clicked on something and potentially caused a data breach. But I think by making it sort of a learning curve for everybody together and and one of the practices that I worked with had sort of like a acknowledgement system where if somebody was staying really vigilant and reporting these, you know, fake phishing um, uh, emails or, um, you know, reported the the USB and did the right thing that they were actually acknowledged and, and rewarded. And so, I think we can kind of come up with ways to implement these strategies in our organisations where it doesn't have to be sort of so scary and it can be something that is a sort of team building and enjoyable process of, of learning.
3: I agree, Brianna. I, I don't think there's a, uh, a punishing aspect to it because it's all about being cyber safe and and protecting the data and the organisation and the individual. So all that positive reinforcement, I think, is such a great mechanism uh, to keep organisations and businesses cyber safe. Well, well buildings
0: and organisations do fire drills. They, they, there is a very practical sense to what you're saying where it, it's not necessarily about you know, pointing blame or anyone doing anything wrong it's about getting people around to understanding it because it, it is a complicated space and it's as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast it's something that's gaining momentum and you know, everyone is trying to be as clever as they possibly can. So, I mean, they are really, really practical um, tips and advice there that I, that I think a lot of people would see value in. Donna, I, can I ask you if you have any practical tips that you could also add to this this conversation for our listeners um, to help them, you know, raise that security awareness?
1: Absolutely. I agree. Let's focus on learning, not shaming people that make an error in judgement, especially when they've got a lot of distractions around them. I think if you remember why you're doing it as well, um, that can really serve as an ongoing reminder to maintain your security awareness. As I said before, I love making things easy for myself and automating things. So you can do things like subscribe to key cybersecurity threat alerts or security news. The Australian cyber Security Centre has alert services for both businesses and individuals Working in healthcare. There's also the ACCC's Scam Watch Alert Service that's very helpful. And these things will keep you informed and remind you on an ongoing basis not to take your security for granted. And if you do accidentally click on something maybe you shouldn't have, your organisation can get expert help from the Australian Cybersecurity Centre and individuals can be supported should they be the victim of a scam and have their identity stolen or compromised by an organisation called ID Care so in addition to supporting people if they've made an error in judgment they can actually access services to help them remedy things if they have gone wrong
0: so as we come to the end of this podcast can i get you guys to give us some you know final closing thoughts on how we can cultivate those good habits how we can you know learn to be more cyber secure and aware so that our listeners can can go from this podcast to try to help start implementing some of these these tips can i start with you donna please
1: there's a lot of great tips out there on cultivating good habits, both technical and non-technical. The key to it all is small, doable steps that lead to improvements over time. I think it takes three or four weeks for all of us to take on a new habit and actually embed it as a, a routine behavior. And by understanding some of the consequences, setting reminders, automating where possible, And identifying tools that will help you, such as maybe a password manager or experts that can give you the advice you need, I think that we can all work together to create that shift in awareness and embed the good habits that protect valuable information, both health, work information and our own personal information that we want to keep safe from cyber criminals.
3: Ben? We all know that good habits are hard to find at times. And the pandemic's been quite interesting because we've gained all these changed behaviours with hand washing and social distancing and uh, across the spectrum, we've actually done that phenomenally well. And it's because our attention was turned to it. I think as we've got more understanding of what's happening with cyber safety and that awareness training is really the first step uh, and getting your policies in place so that you know how to respond. But I really feel it's the behavioural change and the shift in awareness, which is the primary component that we need to take on as individuals. Uh, and then that can filter through our business. And we let the IT guys do their protection with the hardware and the the software, but we just need to be very careful on what we do on a day-to-day basis as individuals. And and that's really the behavioural shift that I think we need to have in the front of our minds.
2: Greg? Yeah, I think as a closing message from me is that uh, we need to think about this as not about making changes set and forget because we are going to see new risks coming out. We are going to see new issues. And really, I think a key component of what we've been talking about today is lifelong learning. It's a journey and... We'll have uh, evolving change all the time, and we need to keep upskilling ourselves. And that's really been a major focus for the uh, eSafety Commissioner. Uh, our uh, early early years program now is focusing on online safety for one to four year olds. Uh, so it's it's really young. It's looking at behaviours. We've mentioned that several times. It's how we use the technology. It becomes really important to have a good understanding. In those early years. And our work works with children, we work with teenagers, we've got lots of resources for uh, adults. And uh, we also have a seniors program, and uh, that's a group that uh, really didn't grow up with the technology, so trying to upskill them. So I, I think one of the real key things in this is uh, just thinking about that we are going to have to continually keep up to date as just part of our life journey and uh, having somewhere like uh, Many of the resources mentioned before and, of course, uh, our website, the eSafety site, uh, can really help people to get a good understanding of things they need to put in place and where to get support.
4: Brianna? Yeah, look, I think Donna, Ben and Greg have all hit the nail on the head with um, their final remarks. So I I might just use this opportunity to point and remind listeners to – to look at our free digital health safety awareness e-learning course which is available through the australian digital health agency website and as greg said it's all about continual upskilling and so this may be a course that you might consider undertaking annually uh, and spending a couple of hours each year to maintain that comprehensive level of security awareness is really a sound investment in your online security for both home and work.
0: Well, thank you to everyone uh, for your time and joining us some wonderful insights today on, on how we can set ourselves up for staying cyber safe. Once again, the key recommendations we heard today were apply software updates and patches as soon as they're available. You got to secure those network devices with strong passwords, back up your data regularly, and above all maintain a greater level of security awareness than you may have done in the past. You can even subscribe to a cyber news or alert service today to help make these new habits become a normal part of your life. There are also a number of well-known psychological methods for cultivating new habits that can help you in all sorts of ways, both personally and professionally. Once again, thank you to all the panel members that joined us today. Uh, Thank you for listening. And on behalf of the Australian Digital Health Agency, we'll catch you next time.